Okay. Uh, our scripture reading for today is Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and verses 17 through 20. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we come to you as imperfect people. Let the words and example of Jesus, your son, fill our hearts and remind us that in our imperfection, we depend on you. Amen. So in our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we have now heard about Jesus' genealogy, the story of his birth, his baptism, and his temptation in the wilderness. In between uh, the story that we heard last week and the text for today, Jesus has began his ministry work in Galilee and started the process of gathering his disciples. And this week, the narrative lectionary moves us further along and brings us to what I think is one of the most well-known passages in the New Testament, the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount. And even though the Beatitudes are very well-known, it's interesting to note that we only hear about them in Matthew and in Luke. Similar to the story of Jesus's birth that we hear during Christmas, there are some similarities between what we hear in Matthew and Luke, but there are also some key differences between them. 
The version that we get in uh, Matthew, which we had just heard, is a little bit longer with nine Beatitudes, and it uses third-person language, uh, like we heard in verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Whereas in Luke, we only hear three verses, and they uh, do not list all the same Beatitudes as in Matthew, and it uses second-person language there. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be filled. Now this is a common occurrence with all the Gospels. Some of them have stories that the other ones just don't tell. And even with the stories that may be in more than one or in all of the Gospels, they often don't tell them in the same ways. Sometimes there are more details in one, uh, less in another. Sometimes the events take place in a different order. And sometimes there are just completely different details altogether. But discrepancies between stories isn't a problem that only the Gospels or the Bibles run into. And speaking from my own experience, I, I don't want to incriminate myself too much here, but I know that there are stories that I could tell from my childhood that would probably be different from something that my parents or my brothers might tell, tell you, like who knocked over a certain lamp or who spilled food on the carpet. which, by the way, wasn't me. But uh, just because one person might tell a story that isn't exactly the same as what another person might say doesn't mean that one person is completely right and another person is completely wrong. There are multiple sides to every story. And when we hear or read other people's stories, it can be helpful to ask ourselves questions like who what, when, where, and why. All of these questions are very important when thinking about the Beatitudes and when reading through them. And although we won't uh, be exploring those questions in that order, the answers that you could give to one of those questions can easily overlap with another. So when we ask the question of who with this passage, one of the ways that we could try to answer that is by asking who was this said to? Who was the audience here? And when we look at the text, uh, we only have to read the first two verses to find that out. It says in the first two verses, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. So Jesus' words here were said to a group of people and not just to one person. And I think that means that there's an element of community that is part of the Beatitudes and the entire Sermon on the Mount. You can see this even in the Greek text of the New Testament, which uses the plural forms of the nouns and the words in this passage. So, even grammatically, uh, this, these words were meant to be heard collectively. And as we think about who the audience is, we also need to consider the different identities that Jesus names in these verses. Like, who are the poor in spirit, the mourning, and the meek? 
If we said that some of the people who heard Jesus say these words, or even some of us hearing them today would fall into these categories, then fair enough. I don't think that we would be wrong in saying that because that acknowledges the reality of the lives of people at that time and now. Often through no fault of their own, some people could definitely be categorized as poor in spirit, meek, or mourning. But I also want to offer another way to look at it. And to do that, we need to talk about who said it. To give the most classic Sunday school response there is, the answer is, of course, Jesus. Again, I know that is obvious, but uh, there is more to that because as it says in Matthew 3.17, Jesus is the beloved with whom God is well pleased. And with that in mind, uh, in exploring this topic of audience, it connects to how we can respond to this question of where. With this passage, where, just like the ones that we have talked about already, it can seem like a very obvious question and a simple one to answer, but it also plays an important part in understanding this passage. Once again, we only need to read the first verse here. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. Matthew's use of the word mountain here has uh, more meaning when we dig a little deeper. With the version that we hear in Luke, Jesus doesn't go up a mountain or up anything. He actually does the opposite and he comes down from a mountain. And he stands on what is written in Luke as a level place before giving the Sermon on the Plain, as it's known in Luke, compared to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. Some scholars think that Matthew's use of mountain is intentional because he values uh, Jewish heritage more than some of the other gospel writers. In the Old Testament texts, mountains were often places where things were revealed. And Matthew's use of mountain is an attempt to connect Jesus' story to that of Moses, who is very familiar with the connection between mountains and revelation. Additionally, Matthew's care for the Hebrew scriptures can be seen in verse 17, when Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. In the Greek, to fulfill can also be translated as to complete. Now, it's pretty difficult to complete something if there isn't anything to work with here. So Jesus is acknowledging the teachings and traditions that people are familiar with and that have been around and that are made complete in him. Now, this brings us to answering when. As the Son of God, Jesus is our example. As I mentioned earlier in this gospel, Jesus started his ministry in Galilee and the process of gathering his disciples before the words he delivers in this chapter. And unlike politicians who often make flowery and empty promises at the beginning of and throughout their campaigns, 
Jesus justifies his words through his own example. Throughout his ministry, Jesus proved that he believed what he said here in the Beatitudes. As God's son who became human and accepted all the risks that came with it, Jesus exemplified what it meant to be poor. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And while the cross is a defining symbol of our faith, it's important to recognize the meaning that it had during Jesus' time. To be crucified was to be humiliated while you were publicly executed. And it often served as a warning sign to not challenge Roman authorities. One theologian summarizes this connection between Paul's words and the relationship between the cross and Jesus' poverty when he says, on the cross he assumed into his very being the place of unparalleled personal impoverishment. He took his place amidst the lowliest of the low, the neediest of the needy. He became one who had nothing and had need of all things. Additionally, over the course of his ministry, when he encountered those who were mourning, Jesus actually acknowledged their presence and spoke to them. This, I imagine, was of great comfort to those who were ignored and ostracized by the rest of their society. And in this way, Jesus demonstrated how the act of responding to someone on the margins asking for help is an incredibly powerful thing. Now this brings us to answering the question of what? What are the Beatitudes? Well, because of Jesus' identity and example, the Beatitudes aren't just a list of requirements or recommendations that need to be checked off and that have a reward at the end of them. In fact, Jesus cautions against this kind of mentality a little later on the Sermon, in the, uh, sermon on the Mount. In chapter 6, Jesus says that those who practice their righteousness before others just to be seen by them have no reward before God in heaven. And he says that we should not seek to store up treasures on earth. Jesus is living by example shows that the Beatitudes are not just a collection of ideals. If they were, I think it would be a lot easier for them to ignore because then they would just be theoretical. But this is not the case with the Beatitudes. Stanley Hauerwas, who is a theologian and ethicist, has called the Beatitudes names for the shared life made possible through Christ through who Jesus is, through the healing the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, and those oppressed by demons, that was mentioned in chapter four, and through all the things that he will come to do in his ministry. 
At this point, I uh, do want to take a quick moment to do a modified version of what, of, of what one of my teacher friends has called a check for understanding. I know that I bounced around a bit between all these questions, so I'm hoping to review what we had just talked about. So, in this passage, we read that Jesus went up on a mountain with his disciples when he saw the crowds coming and sat with them. And the gospel writer includes Jesus going up on a mountain because of an affinity toward the Hebrew scriptures and a desire to connect them with the story of Jesus. Jesus then gives a sermon to his disciples and the crowds of people in which he recognizes the different ways that people can or might be oppressed and what could come from that. This message that Jesus gives comes towards the beginning of his ministry life and throughout his entire journey, Jesus continues to demonstrate what it looks like to live out the words that he offers. And this turns the Beatitudes from a list of ideals into a vision and a precedent of what life can look like through Jesus and the writings of the laws and the prophets that are being made complete in him. Uh, so now, uh, as we close, uh, I think we can come to answer the question of why. Why did Jesus give us the, the Beatitudes or the rest of the Sermon on the Mount? Well, in addition to all the stuff we just went over, a crucially important thing that, be, that the Beatitudes does for us is help us realize how much we need God. Hauerwas has said that we cannot live by the, by the demands of the Sermon on the Mount on our own, and that is the point. The demands of the Sermon are designed to make us depend on God and one another. And that's how we were created. We are created by God and in God's image to be in relationship with him and one another. And whether we find ourselves at our highest moments or at our lowest, we will always need God and each other. The reality of our lives here on earth is that we are incomplete people living in an imperfect world. The Beatitudes acknowledge that reality and offer hope through the promise of blessing to those who are oppressed. To the poor in spirit, to those who mourn, to the meek, to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, to the merciful and the pure in heart, to the peacemakers and those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. The blessings that the people who are oppressed and fall under these categories will receive is not a modern understanding of blessings, but rather a reversal of their situations and fortunes in heaven. And it is from Jesus' example of being oppressed in all those ways and being made complete through his death and resurrection that we can have hope. So as we hear more from the Sermon on the Mount, and as 
you read and reread the Beatitudes. Let us remember the who, what, when, where, and why so that we can better understand our need for God and each other and have hope. Please pray with me. God of all people, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our example. We thank you for the ways that he gave us hope and reminded us that we are made complete in you. As we go through our days and weeks, God, we ask that we do not forget our connectedness and dependence on you. Amen.